passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we are live. It is your AEW Revolution Post Show. I am John Pollock alongside Wei Tang coming at you at midnight Eastern. We have just watched five hours of professional wrestling. Um, I I looked at this way and I, listen, I have, I have talked about this card, <laughs> how deep this card is. I'm excited for this card. But at the back of my head was five hours. <laughs> I can honestly tell you, they pulled off a five-hour show, and I was completely energized throughout these five hours, I will say. I don't know if that'll if I'll speak for everybody. I'm sure that there were maybe lulls for some, but um, for the third pay-per-view in a row, I would say this was a, another gigantic home run for AEW. Like, their pay-per-views to me are, it's state-of-the-art, and to me, it's from last September, full gear, and this one. They are just at a different level than what the shows have been. This is my clear contender for show of the year as we are entering month three of the year. I just thought it was a, a fantastic show to get that out of the way. Yeah, I don't disagree with you that, you know, AEW, I think, is of a certain standard now that you can really throw a whole lot of different people on this show. And most weeks, I think you are most, most, most combinations, I, I should say, you know, I think you're, you're going to end up with really high quality, but that's because professional wrestling, I think is overall really good. And I, it's just unfortunate that maybe, you know, certain uh, companies limit that, but AEW is not one of those. So uh, I agree. I don't know if I completely agree that, you know, the five hours completely felt warranted. You know, this was a show where I think at least um, in terms of the live atmosphere, I think would have benefited from maybe at least one or two matches being off of this show. Well, to me, it was like the hardest spot on this show was going to be following Punk and MJF. We knew that ahead mm -hmm. of time, and that turned out to be the case. Um you know, it was, it was funny hearing uh, Brian Danielson do that interview on The Observer, and he said, like, the hardest thing to follow is a big, dramatic epic. And that's what we knew Punk and MJF was going to be. And that was, uh, I, I would say, the crowd certainly, like, it, it was very tough for Baker and Thunder Rosa in that next match. It was tough. And and we'll go on to talk about it, though. But I thought there were matches that were able to su successfully crack that formula. Dude, Sting. Sting cracks every formula. The man's about to turn 63. Um, we will get into all of that. Um, but yes, let's, uh, let's run through revolution, uh, the start of five hours ago, and then we will be opening it up, uh, double, double ice cap and espresso members will have the chance to call in. Uh, that is one of the, the perks at those levels for the post wrestling cafe. You can and find that link in your uh, email, everybody. 
Yes. And then uh, taking feedback as well. And we'll also be taking Super Chats because we are live on YouTube. Oh, as we that's will why be. all those people are out there. Hello, YouTube. Hello, everybody in YouTube joining us right now. We are live every single day at 1 o'clock Eastern, except for tomorrow. We're going to take tomorrow afternoon off because we're covering most of the news today. But uh, usually every single weekday, we are live at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And then from now on, this point forward, live after every Raw, Dynamite, even SmackDowns, and even pay-per-view. So you'll find us here after every significant event. Yes, yes, we will be back uh, tomorrow night, 11.15 Eastern, right here on this channel. And before people start asking, as I say it's midnight, I'm drinking decaf, so people are aware. Okay. I wouldn't that, blame you if you weren't. Uh, then I would not be able to to go to sleep after this. That, that would not be good, because I do need to sleep after this. Uh, but let's go back to the buy-in. Uh, we're at the Edition Financial Arena, a sellout, approximately 8,200 people uh, in attendance. And we have Excalibur and Tony Schiavone on commentary. And our presenting sponsor on this show, DraftKings. So this was a pretty sizable like sponsorship deal that they had for this show. Made a lot of attention to it. Um, very much in the same way, um, like... DraftKings is like a big sponsor of the UFC pay-per-views right down to the insert with the woman pitching you on uh, where to put your money down. Don't they sponsor WWE? They did have a deal with WWE. I don't know if it's still an existing one. They had announced a deal last March. Um, So that's, yeah, something to look into. They have, yeah, worked with WWE in the past too. They're probably sponsoring everything. Well, I guess so. Um, we started off with Chris Statlander and Layla Hirsch, and this felt so long ago as we are now uh, recapping this. And we have clips of this feud going back to the Holiday Bash edition of Rampage on Christmas. And um, w- worth noting here, um, just with, with what is going on in the world right now, that uh, Layla Hirsch did come out in the Russian colors that she usually has, uh, but was not billed mm-hmm. from, from Moscow. And this also kind of compares to what NXT UK did over the week. Uh, John Cena pointing this out that uh, Ilya Dragunov, they altered his music as well as did not refer to the Torpedo Moscow as that name as well. So just, uh, I mean, an observation to make as they are, um, you know, in in the midst of, you know, a world conflict that, um, you know, is that is going to be a sensitive topic for some people. Uh, The match, though, saw... Layla Hirsch, uh, her arm was like all taped up here. Uh, the best friends walked out with Chris Statlander, and then she just came and worked, uh, came out here solo. And largely, this was uh, Chris Statlander going for a handspring, and her elbow was kicked out by Layla Hirsch, and that would be the target of Hirsch uh, throughout the entire match. Uh, they fought onto the apron. The big bang was uh, countered, and then a step-up kick onto the injured arm. Rana off the apron by Hirsch, and then she's going for the arm bar. Hirsch is on her shoulders, and Chris Statlander nearly loses balance on the second turnbuckle, but manages to drop her face first like a, like a reverse electric chair off the second turnbuckle. Another big bang for a near fall, and then Hirsch makes, her, uh, makes it to the turnbuckle, nails her from the floor. The referee misses this, where she literally has a turnbuckle and hits her with this, and Hirsch wins with the moonsault press in 951. This will set up a number one contenders match involving Layla Hirsch on Wednesday's Dynamite. You know, I don't know if there are many better places to be on this card other than the very first match of a five-hour show with a completely rabid crowd that I think we're going to react really big to everything. So, I mean, these two really could just, I think, could have coasted, and I think they would have received a great reaction, but they didn't. I thought both of these two women looked really good. I really liked Hirsch's heel energy 
she came across pretty menacing with her great technical offense and all the little stuff in between as well. I thought Statlander looked really good too, and you know there was a little bit of a, bit of a slip up on the ropes, but I thought they recovered really well. She, she what, regained her balance. I mean, it could have been a disaster if she lost her balance with her on her shoulders, but they did and, recover and played played into you know the the like Statlander getting the advantage. So it went a good length, and I thought it was a compelling match with the right person winning because you cannot let somebody say those things about. Your uh, your you being an orphan and let them get away with it. That's right. Yes. So there you go. Um, the adopted Layla Hirsch prevails here against a insensitive comment by Chris Statlander. Uh, Red Velvet then came out and checked on Chris Statlander uh, after the match. Shivani is in the ring to introduce a special guest, and Kenny Omega's battle cry begins to play. And out walks Don Callis. Dude, this crowd was just livid. They were so upset mm. that Don Callis, like Kenny Omega, they're going to bring him back on the buy-in unannounced. Uh, but out comes Callis. He says, there's no Kenny Omega tonight. The crowd is drowning him out. Shut the fuck up. Said that they gave them the greatest title run in history while Omega had catastrophic injuries and blames the fans for continually demanding more, sucking the blood out of him. And he is disgusted by the violence that is going to happen tonight. And goes over all the different violent matches. This was the greatest, like, go-home promo for the buy-in of just the violence that you're going to see later tonight. It's disgusting. He expects the Young Bucks to win the tag titles and says that Adam Cole will win the AEW title and be a fantastic transitional champion. Because the only diamond in this business is Kenny Omega. A great promo here. Very good promo from Don Callis. And I guess just a way of reminding us that Kenny Omega's return is probably going to be coming um, I mean, I have to think soon, don't you think? In well, order he's, to do he's got to have like that, that hernia operation, which he had not had as of that, that interview he did a few weeks ago and said roughly like eight weeks after that, he would be good to return, which again, like who, who knows what the timetable is going to be. You would think that double or nothing would be what, what he would be shooting for. Yeah, I would think so too. And And I think from the way this was set up, I got the sense that they were teasing a babyface Kenny return. I mean, by disappointing the crowd this way, really wanting the crowd to to want to see Kenny. Uh, did, did you get that feeling too, John? Uh, I I think that that is the direction to go with Omega when it when he comes back, and I think the way that they left it off, where he he was you know saying his farewell to the young bucks, noting he didn't go and watch the video there, so he, you know he has the reason to not be aligned with with the bucks and even Don Callis when when he comes back. So I think. Whether it's like a slow turn when he comes back, like he doesn't have to be a babyface day one. He can slowly uh, get to that role. But I, mm. I think that is the direction to go with Kenny now once he comes back. QT Marshall is out and he took on Hook. So we got Taz on commentary and uh, he's just describing all of Hook's throws here. Uh, we got to see a little bit of selling here from, from Hook. He was sent to the floor, uh, but then as QT goes to the pump kick, he's caught, suplexed on the floor. Crowd is chanting, QT sucks, and he knocks QT off the turnbuckle, high collar into a suplex. QT's giving the diamond cutter sign. That's blocked, and QT leapfrogs out of the corner into red rum, taps out in 458, and the crowd went nuts for the, the submission and the tap out by Marshall. You know, we've seen these hook matches before if you've been watching Rampage, and I suppose if you haven't been watching Rampage, this might have been your first taste of hook, and I thought he looked as impressive as ever. Picture-perfect suplexes, and just overall a great presentation, a crowd that absolutely loves him, and I thought QT did a great job serving it up as the cocky heel who ultimately got his comeuppance. Longest match of Hook's career at 4.58. Oh my, wow, okay. 
And then to uh, conclude the buy-in was Malachi Black, Brody King, and Buddy Matthews of the House of Black taking on Pac, Penta Oscuro, and Eric Redbeard, who made his debut on television, or well, I guess his return to AEW this week on television. So they paired off at, at the beginning. We saw Matthews with Penta and then Redbeard with Brody King. Um, I'm not going to go through everything here. I was really impressed with Eric Redbeard. This guy worked mm-hmm. his ass off in this match. Like he saw this. This is a big spotlight. I'm in here with a lot of talent. And I thought, you know, he was hardly like the um like stuck out in some kind of bad way. I thought he really hustled in this match and they they built a lot around him as as the new guy and making him kind of this like their monster on on their side on the death triangle side but i i was very impressed with with seeing eric redbird 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 redbeard redbird redbird yeah. capital is the, uh, <laughs> is the xfl ownership uh, I do not disagree whatsoever. I, I mean, it, you know, you see him like this in the, in a match like this in this context, and it kind of makes you wonder why he wasn't signed a bit earlier. Um, I mean, we had seen what the man has been capable of, you know, throughout his WWE run. Um, both he and and you know, of course, Luke Harper, Brody, Brody Lee, uh, were were always tremendous in these sort of multi tag roles, having these big runs, and that was no different here, especially in the AEW context where he looks even bigger amongst this roster. Guys like whipping out Centon Atomicos here. Um, uh, Redbeard and King, um, they, they were paired throughout a lot uh, in this. Redbeard hit him with a spin kick, and then King comes back with a Death Valley driver. We had all six laid out, and they had the, the overhead shot here. So uh, King hit a Tope Suicida onto Redbeard. The other four are crawling on their hands and knees, fighting in the middle, pack with a Fosbury flop to Matthews on the floor. Uh, those two are going to have an incredible singles match at, at some point. Uh, Black is able to uh, Penta and Black are on the edge of the apron and Penta can't hit Made in Japan. He's uh, he runs Black into the post and hits the fear factor on the edge, rolls him in. But Malachi Black is not the legal man. So Matthews comes from behind and curb stomps Penta. Pack makes the save and then Pack lifts up Matthews, eats the black mass, which in AEW is called a back heel kick. And then Redbeard catches Matthews by the throat uh, hits another back heel kick and then struggles to his feet, surprising Black. There's a double choke slam that gets stopped with the Black Mist as Matthews hits a flying knee. King lands his driver and Black pins him in 17 minutes and 23 seconds. Uh, for a pre-show, uh, th- this was pretty great. I, I, I agree that it was a pretty great match. I thought everybody was awesome. Um, I thought it went too long for a pre-show. Yeah. You know, like when when we're talking a pre-show match, I mean, I'm talking about matches that I think should whet the appetite and make you want to see more. This was like full on pay-per-view type of presentation. I felt it was a bit much for me, especially knowing that I had four hours of wrestling ahead of me. Like it got to the point where for me, the near falls at the end didn't necessarily build up my my interest. And it felt kind of felt to me more like, you know, I... I was ready for it to to move on, uh, which is kind of sad to say, but obviously you didn't have that same reaction. I I really enjoyed the match. I thought, I thought it was a great match. And uh, I mean, watching it, I was, I was thinking the same thing that um, we have nine matches coming up on, on this pay-per-view. They're doing a lot in this, but I've, I've also come to expect with these AEW shows that the crowd typically stays up for these shows. And I, I listen. I was the first one that was looking at these five hours and would be like, "Man, there's there's going to be some dips on this show." But um, you know, at the end of it, like for for what it was, I I thought this was like a really entertaining uh, six man. And Red Redbeard surprised me. I think some were certainly questioning, you know, 
on a roster like this, is there a spot for this guy? He certainly came into this match uh, with the intent of stepping up and then some. And I, I thought he did. I thought he looked really good here. Among the Giants, I mean, I, 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 I guess you could really point to him as, you know, somebody who's had um, some of the more experience of, of all of them. But it seems like every faction sort of has their Giant now. And, um, I, I, you know, he certainly fits in well with this crop. Jim Ross enters as they finish off the buy-in and then opens the pay-per-view, noting it is sold out here. Where are we, Tony? And he was informed yeah. they are in Orlando. Well, the man has been to a lot of places. I'm a sure. lot of places in Florida yeah. that they've been to. They really pushed this DraftKings sponsorship. and As in, they should. Yeah, they've got to. I'm sure this was not an insignificant deal for the company. So, uh, you know, for... Having that that level of sponsorship, it was uh, it was hit over the head throughout this show, and then opening up the pay per view, Chris Jericho and Eddie Kingston, and they're explaining Eddie Kingston has never won on pay per view, and when you go through like all his big matches, he has lost them all. Uh, what's his name? Slash Cody Rhodes, uh, you know CM Punk, John Moxley, like all his big matches, he has lost. So that was kind of the backstory for all of this. And Jericho comes out, huge reaction. He's the first guy out on the pay-per-view. I think I saw Jericho's son sitting in the in the front row, but they never oh, yeah? uh, acknowledged him. And Kingston just storms to the ring. It was like the perfect Eddie Kingston entrance. He wasn't yeah. having any of this. I don't want any sparklers, pyro bullshit. I'm here to kick this guy's ass. And he just storms into the ring, and they set the tone in a record because Eddie Kingston dropped this dude on his head with this half and half suplex and everyone thought Jericho was dead. And that's how they started. And when Jericho got up, this suddenly became like Budokan Hall for these two. And they were just going to have, like it was Chris Jericho working like a, like a King's road style match here with Eddie Kingston. And Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone was just raving about this, this match. Mm -hmm. No, no, totally. I think immediately you got that sense, you know, um, clearly the man has been um increasing his intake of of uh 90s all japan uh youtube videos recently and i think the influence more than made its way into the match yes uh jericho took over he's giving the middle finger to the crowd he uh no sells an insiguri they have a chop battle kingston's doing the uh the, the kibashi machine gun chops in the corner and a jericho targets the left eye and is punching him in the corner. Jericho busts out a top rope Hurricane Rana. This, to me, was like the culmination of Jericho and this the shape that he has uh, gotten into. Um, you know, it, I, I think it was the culmination of his war against all the criticisms that he's probably received over the past year about him not being who he used to be. Uh, clearly answering all of those doubters with, I mean, gee, Jesus, one of the best performances I've seen from him in years. Yeah, I mean, you know, he has gotten into just phenomenal shape here and just worked at an incredible pace the turnbuckle pad gets removed by jericho they fight on the edge and there's a vertical suplex to the floor by jericho that (laughs) did not look fun it was just two men just with a thud as they met the ground um there's a spinning back fist uh, duck by jericho released german to kingston hits another dumping kingston on his head and follows up the lion salt he used the uh, the walls, and then Jericho's arguing with Aubrey Edwards after the rope break. So Eddie comes back with two Saito suplex, and the Urican nails Jericho for a near fall. Kingston is, like, so distraught. He's, like, falling into Aubrey Edwards that it's like he was so close. And then goes for a Northern Lights bomb. That gets stopped with a code breaker. 
more Germans. Kingston pops up. Code breaker. Tony says that it was right to his orbital bone. And Jericho is setting up for the Judas effect to the injured orbital bone. But he ducks two Urukins and applies the stretch plum, his ode to Toshiaki Kawada. And he just wrenches on the arm multiple times. And finally, Jericho taps. The place goes nuts. I think there was plenty of doubt of Eddie Kingston winning this. And I listen, when we previewed this, I thought like, man, there's, there's a lot more to this story. And I thought like maybe your bridge to that is, you know, Jericho wins this one and then you build it up. This was the perfect ending. Like watching this, I was like, this is Kingston's match to win. And I will say it does feel like this is going to continue because Jericho would not shake his hand after Uh, these two, um, Whatever your expectation was, even if it was high, it was exceeded. This was mm-hmm. a tremendous match. Um, b- both men were just excellent. I if if this were some people's match of the show, completely justifiable choice. It might have been mine. I really think I have to sit down and look back at these matches, but I, I love this match. I just thought it was a tremendous singles match from both. It it honestly is in contention. Like I have to really kind of sort out my own feelings. Maybe by the end of the the, the reveal, I'll give you an answer. But I, it, this is certainly in the running for match of the night for me. I, like I, was- I thought honestly, way, and I don't think this is recency bias either. Mm-hmm. Like to me, this is on par with that MJF Darby opener. Like those two openers, I think it's like you can argue one and sure. two. I thought I thought this was certainly at that level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and again, you know, being able to benefit from the energy of a crowd at the start of of, of the pay per view versus you know if this match were to take a place a bit later on, I mean, any any this match could have main evented the show, and I think it would, would have still received an incredible reaction because they came out just blazing. And man, like you know, talking about like that all Japan '90s style, I, I think it, it, it was totally embodied here in the stiff chops. In the head drops, you know, for better or worse, but it, it certainly got this crowd's reaction after an hour-long buy-in. Um, and you know, the energy of this, I think, any it's it's amazing to me, honestly. Like for how relatively little airtime Eddie Kingston gets in comparison to maybe some of the top acts of the company, he always comes out on these pay-per-views and he always gets among the biggest reactions of every single person on this entire roster. These crowds love him. They love everything he does. And I thought Eddie Kingston more than I think, you know, um, drew it out of him with his incredible confidence and charisma in this particular match. Uh, I thought this was one of Chris Jericho's best AEW matches athletically. He looked physically. He looked, you know, very, very similar to maybe his performances of 20 years ago. His explosivity was there. Technique and timing, of course, are always there. Uh, he was just fantastic. And yeah, not just a fantastic opener. It would have been a fantastic match at any point in this show. I'd agree with you. Um, I just thought, and the other part with Eddie Kingston is the fact that we have been able to see like with the punk match with this one, all you need is one big promo segment and you've kind of set the table. Like it's, yeah. it was the the face to face with punk and then the face to face with Jericho set this up. It was pretty much one promo segment that set it up, set the tone and people were invested. Yeah, totally. But you know, because we only had that really one good promo segment between the t- these two, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they understand that there's far more story to be told between the two of them that I'm happy to see this feud continue. Yeah, so Kingston said he respected him, but Jericho just could not bring himself to shake hands with Eddie Kingston. So following that was the triple threat tag title match with Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus against the Young Bucks and Red Dragon. And in this match, um, man, there was some great talent in here, but this really felt like this was the Jungle Boy showcase. 
And again, like nothing wrong with that. He's the person who's the youngest. He's the person who's going to be in this company and lead most likely to lead this company into the future. And and the lone, I mean, one of the two lone baby faces here. So the way this broke down at the beginning, it was sort of like it was four on two with the Bucks and Red Dragon like working together, but you could see they were not going to be trustful of one another. And Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus having to overcome that, and then things would kind of fall apart at the seams between the Bucks and Red Dragon. But some spectacular stuff here from uh, Jungle Boy. Uh, you had uh, Nick gets stopped on the top rope on a springboard, regains his balance, and leaps into a destroyer on Luchasaurus. Uh, Luchasaurus then got on to match shoulders and Jungle Boy applies a Greco-Roman knuckle lock, scales up the ropes and comes off with a doomsday device. This guy was just constantly leaping on the ropes like he is a Jungle Boy. Like that is like these trees are the ropes and this guy is just natural, just hopping up and down these ropes and doing all of this offense. Matt then super kicks Bobby Fish by mistake. Kyle tags in and he goes at it with Matt. Nick and, and Bobby Fish are going at it. So now it's more of a traditional three-way triple threat match. And we're seeing uh, a series of super kicks to Kyle O'Reilly, who's bouncing off the rope with like the Les Kellett Lariat coming back. He goes off the middle rope, then the bottom rope. Uh, he's also brought the bombs away with him from NXT. He's got the, uh, uh, he, mm-hmm. he's brought his, uh, his power knee to the new company. Fish hit a, a diving headbutt, and then there's a knee bar that's broken up by Matt's top rope elbow. So they're just going at uh, a million miles an hour here. But then we see uh, Kyle O'Reilly applies like this 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 front chancery, like guillotine, onto Luchasaurus, and it's broken up by Jungle Boy with a shooting star press as he comes off the top. Nick then breaks up the cover with a 450 splash as he comes off. You've got O'Reilly with a belt shot to Jungle Boy. Rick Knox is off dealing with Matt. That leads to a near fall. And then we get the super kicks into a Kyle O'Reilly pile driver, followed by super kicks to Kyle O'Reilly. Nick dives to the floor. There's a BTE trigger, and Kyle makes the save, stopping the Bucks from winning the titles. And our finish comes as Jungle Boy stops a more bang-for-your-buck attempt by leaping to the top, hits a top-rope Hurricane Rana to Nick, And as he lands it, he is in position to give Matt a released German suplex to see. Like, I don't know if I can describe this and do it any justice. It was unbelievable. And then Matt is recovers, tries to cover Jungle Boy. He is kicked off, is sent into the tail whip that didn't quite connect. And then they uh, launched up Matt for the Thoracic Express. And Nick is just this late to get the cover. I, I thought that Excalibur pointed out that Matt had something in his hand that that yeah, Luchasaurus it, was kicking away. Was, was that just a cover-up, or, or, or did that actually occur? It looked like he was going for the head and not... I, I would have to go back and look, but I heard that line about Excalibur. It's something in his hand, and I couldn't even see something in his hand, but it, it, it could have been. Um, I, I will fully admit, when I'm recapping these these oh, I, matches, I'm impressed, honestly. Details are lost. I'm, um, I'm very impressed at how Excalibur much... Excalibur did say that. I'm very um, impressed at how much you were able to 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 capture because this these matches move so damn fast. Yeah. Like this show moves so damn fast, you know. But please. it was uh 1854 was uh was the time with the uh, champions retaining, and I really like the ending. Like Nick is like mid dive as the three count is administered, and um yeah, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus retain. But um we are two for two on this pay per view. 
Two for two, absolutely. People in the chat room are saying that Matt had a can of uh, the spray can in his hand okay, that, that's, that was that's kicked what away. He had. So, uh, so yeah, um, this match never slowed down from the jump. It was big move after big move after big move, as you would expect from a Young Buck style pay per view match, um, and, or Jurassic Express style pay per view match. And it was re- again, like I wrote down in my notes, it's the type of match that's almost impossible to take notes for live. So, uh, I commend you, John, for for doing a great job of it. Um, every team was great here. Uh, you know, Young Bucks, of course, I think you can always expect them to to be very consistent. And I thought Red Dragon for their first AEW pay-per-view match, I mean, again, very consistent. Everything that you've expected and you've loved of them throughout their entire careers. Kyle O'Reilly in this system, like, just to throw him throw him and, and Bobby Fish into this tag team division that's already as, st- as stacked as, as it is, is just what a gift. You know, what a gift of a wrestler that man is. Um, I thought there was a really good chance that, like, the Jurassic Express would lose the titles here. You know, given how much story focus has been on the Bucks and 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 the and Red Dragon lately, but instead it just seemed to serve as another way to bolster the Jurassic Express's really excellent tag team run so far. Every match that they've had, I, I think, has been really really strong, either on TV or in this case on pay per view. And of course, it also continues to drive that wedge between the Bucks and Red Dragon. Uh, there was a promo spot for Double or Nothing on May 29th. So tickets went on sale on Friday, and they Tony Khan announced it's the first million-dollar gate in the company's history. Um, so I believe it's like 12500 that they've sold, and it holds about fourteen. So they are going to sell out the T-Mobile Arena without much wow. uh, trouble. That's incredible. Yeah. Like with with 1,500 tickets, and you've got uh, three months before this pay-per-view. And mm-hmm. to hit a, a million, like that's you know not insignificant for a company in its third year. And tonight was what? Uh, I don't know. We haven't heard a gate figure. Okay, but I mean, like, but, in terms uh, of number people. wise, it was around eighty-two hundred. Yeah, uh, that's that's very strong. Face of the Revolution ladder match: Keith Lee, Wardlow, Powerhouse Hobbs, Ricky Starks, Orange Cassidy, and Christian Cage. Uh, throughout the night, we saw the Men of the Year with Dan Lambert and Paige Van Zant watching from the seats. They never did an angle with Paige signing her contract that they had kind of set up that they were going to do. And instead they just had constant shots of them. So um, they were there and sat together, presumably for five hours. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure they did. Yeah. Taz is back on commentary for this. So, uh, at the beginning, Lee Wardlow and Hobbs are uh, toss the others out. So you have all the three monsters in the ring together. And at one point, Cassidy tries to climb the ladder with his hands in his pockets. There's a double leapfrog by Lee and then hits a double cross body to Cage and Starks and swings Orange Cassidy around as a battering ram into the others using Cassidy as a weapon. Uh, Cassidy would do the, the Sandman spot or Terry Funk, really, with the with the ladder and spinning it around uh, Lee and Wardlow. Then lift a ladder with Orange Cassidy basically skinning the cat on top of the ladder and goes to reach for the ring. I thought that was a really clever spot. I thought it was pretty silly, to be honest. Like, I, the skinning the cat was impressive and it certainly got a reaction. So, really, that's all that mattered. But, like, why wouldn't Wardlow and Keith Lee just drop the damn ladder? Well, listen, that was my negative on this is that there were a lot of moments in here where, like, Wardlow was just like, if I get this ring, cool, but I'm here to, like, fight. It felt, it felt like he was more into just... There was a slip-ups, for sure, like, that the announcers... Oh, that, I mean, that... He, that had the, he had the ring to himself at one point, and he leaves. 
And 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 the kicker is that like the crowd was reacting to this being a special moment because they realized Wardlow was in the ring by yes. himself. Yeah, that so, was that uh, emphasized but, it because it was like this ooh moment that everyone's gone and Wardlow's Wardlow's got an empty net. He's just got to shoot. And instead, he leaves the ring to attack like the others. Like it, it made him look pretty silly. So um, Taz also noted here when it comes to uh, ladders, furniture don't know how to work. Um, we had Starks leap through the ladder off the turnbuckle to spear Cage. Very that, cool. That was very a very cool impressive move. spot. Um, I think it was a good thing to have Christian Cage in this, not just for on screen, but probably I would imagine putting this together. I would imagine mm. he took a big role as kind of the quarterback for for this type of match with, you know, a lot of inexperienced guys in this match or at least varying degrees of it. Uh, so Wardlow climbs with Starks and Cassidy on his back, drops them. Hobbs is on the other end. Cl- Lee then climbs next to him on a ladder. And we end up with all six on two ladders. One by one, they all drop, leaving Hobbs and Wardlow. And each go to grab the ring, but then they let go. Instead, they opt to strike and both land on the ground. This is where, uh, moments later, the ring is cleared. The crowd sees Wardlow has an opening. And this is where he leaves the ring. And the announcers are trying to cover that um, he wants to fight with Lee and Hobbs because they're not in the same company and they'll never get a chance to wrestle for years to come together. So anyway, Hobbs and Wardlow uh, go for this ladder at the top of the stage. They rip it in half. Then they head to the broadcast area and Wardlow shoulder tackles Hobbs and Lee off the stage through a table on the floor. That was the end of their night. Starks is climbing when Dan Housen appears and uh, puts a curse on Starks. Cage then climbs. Wardlow hits a powerbomb to Cage, leaps onto this ladder bridge where Starks is climbing. And Starks is hit with a powerbomb onto this horizontal ladder. This looked gruesome. Yeah, it looked terrible. I mean, this I is a guy even... that had a, had the neck problems, that... and oh, I cringed watching. There were several moments on this show where I was very nervous. That was honestly what was most concerning is the fact that this is Ricky Starks, who had only recently come back from from a oh. you know pretty bad in ring neck injury, but he didn't so much fall on it. I mean, he didn't so much get power bombed on it as he did just pretty much fall back. Dude, his neck onto got it. compacted onto this ladder. That's what yeah. that's what happened. It was nasty. He was tweeting afterwards, so hopefully he is okay. But it looked really nasty. And mm-hmm. then Wardlow grabbed the ring at seventeen twenty four. So what they are doing is that he is going to get the title shot. On March 16th, a week from Wednesday, against the winner of Sammy Guevara and Scorpio Sky that happens this week. Yeah, so a lot of activity coming up in the uh, TNT uh, championship match, or or, or the division, I should say. A really good match, lots of great spots, thoroughly entertaining, very dangerous uh, for some people as well. So I certainly hope Starks and and Orange Cassidy coming off of that deal where nobody caught him, or at least... They they that? missed time the the position of of uh, the toss. I hope he's okay. It was a great showcase match. I thought for the Giants, include particularly for Hobbs and for Wardlow. Who I mean, I think for me at least, and I think most of the audience, you know, even though Keith Lee is making his debut here, Keith Lee is of a certain level of star power that Hobbs and Wardlow aren't. But I thought this was a match that elevated those other two to a Keith Lee status. And I mean, it was a very good you know presentation for Keith Lee in his first match as well. Fun spots with Orange Cassidy, who I think, you know, always adds an interesting dynamic to these multi-main matches. But to me, I thought Ricky Starks really stood out as like the biggest heel of, of the match itself. Ricky Stocks, way. Ricky Stocks. Ricky Stocks. Okay, sure. Three for three so far on the show, wouldn't you say? Certainly, yes. Like I, I have kind of hit my my limit of ladder matches in my life, but this this was spectacular. Um mm-hmm. and 
yeah, a lot of some scary stuff, but some impressive stuff as well throughout. So, yeah, we were definitely three for three. And then out came the debuting Shane Swerve Strickland out to sign his contract. And Tony notes, it's great to work with you again, citing their uh, their MLW past. And, dude, this crowd treated him like a star. He mm-hmm. had a ton of presence coming out here, and I thought the audience really deserved the assist here. And he says, I can go on about the dream matches I'm going to have here, the titles I'm going to win, but I just have one question. And the crowd was already chanting, whose house, Swerve's house. And then when he asked whose house, this place was just, they screamed. Uh, I thought this was like a really nice debut for Strickland. Like by the end of the show, you remembered his moment on the show and the crowd took to him as, as being notable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can tell like, you know, Tony Khan was realizing that, okay, like this is a pay- this is one of my big shows of the year. A lot of eyeballs are going to be on this show. And I-, I thought he tried to do his best to use that exposure to give to a lot of various people. This was a, certainly a segment that could have been saved for a dynamite or something, but it decided to, you know, do it on, on a show like this. And yeah, sure. Why not? Didn't take up that much time, you know, um, gave us a bit of news coming out of the show. Swerve came out looking like a million bucks. Found it interesting that he was being billed by his old name, Swerve, uh, Shane Swerve Strickland, not the realist, Swerve the realist, which I believe is what he's been going by right. um, otherwise. So, I and I think that's for the best, you know. Um, nothing wrong with, with being called Shane in this company. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Jade Cargill versus Ty Conti for the TBS Championship. So Ty Conti came out and they explained that she was wearing war paint. This looked like Malachi Black had like ran, run into her. Yeah, I don't, I mean, every I, I appreciate that everybody has kind of their own, like, unique looks here. You know, Jade Cargill came out looking as Jade for Mortal Kombat, always looking amazing. And I think Conti, I mean, I'm sure there's some significance to it that maybe you and I aren't realizing. Perhaps. Uh, Anna Jay and Negative One came out with uh, Ty Conti, and Jade Cargill was played out with Kingfish Ingram, who played the electric guitar here for her theme. Cool. Yeah. It was a nice entrance. This is yeah, like our something. only kind of non-traditional uh, entrance, like they did like a special pay-per-view entrance for. So the bell rings and Jade Cargill kisses Ty Conti to catch her off guard and then lands a pump kick on her. Uh, Jade gets countered and goes for an arm bar, but Jade escapes that. And she's mocking Conti with the crane and other poses. And Conti lands her own pump kicks. And they do show a shot of Paige Van Zandt watching this. So Conti lays out Mark Sterling on the floor. Jade then nails Anna Jay, who flew and crashed through this table. And then Jade's yelling at Sterling to get up. The DD tie gets stopped. They trade O'Connor rolls. And then Jade gets nailed by a chair shot from Anna Jay when she comes back. This sets up a near fall. And this was pretty much, um, this was like the Undertaker at WrestleMania. It's just setting up believable near falls. Yeah, Jade could possibly lose this, and they tried their best here. So Ty kisses her and then hits the Didi Ty, and that was Conti's big near fall. And I will say they kind of took the air out of this near fall because Excalibur was like busy plugging all like the dates coming up while all of this happened. And this was one where it was just like, okay, I know you're probably mid-read right now, but this was like Conti's big near fall of the whole match. Some unfortunate timing. But I, I feel bad for the guy. Like, you know, I, imagine listen, the amount of I notes do. he has. This guy is, like, he's just inundated with information he has to convey. It was just unfortunate. It was, like, right in the middle of a significant sequence of the match. 
Um, but anyway, the kick out occurs. Ty KO gets blocked. Jade hits the Eye of the Storm, which is like her tour of the islands, and then goes to the top for a frog splash. Gets a two count. Pile driver climbs up and. Conti gets knocked into the camera on top of the post, which leads to Jaded. And Cargill pins her in six minutes and 54 seconds, going to 29 and 0. And uh, no no one is going to paint this among the, the top matches on the show. But grading this on the Jade Cargill curve, I, I thought that to go seven minutes, like we've seen some seven minute Jade Cargill matches that have not been pretty. Uh, this mm-hmm. one, I, I thought they they worked like a fine a respectable seven minute match. And that's the best you can hope for, for Jade. There is no doubt in my mind, Jade Cargill is going to be something like yeah. 18 months from now. I think her, her improvement level is like, we're going to be looking back at this and it's going to be phenomenal. Like, I think a lot is clicking for her. Well, it, it to me, it's, it's amusing. Cause like all these things we're saying about Jade, we are still saying about Ty Conti. So let's not forget that the other person next to Jade Cargill to to lead her to this match is herself somebody who I think is still relatively brand new. And and so the fact that you know these two for their combined level of experience were able to have a match that felt like it belonged on a show with industry veterans and all-stars like Brian Danielson and CM Punk and Hangman Page and Adam Cole like that to me is a feat already, you know? Um yeah, like if you're going to say what was the weakest match on the show, I'm going to say it's this one. But this is an all-star game and these two somehow rookies are able to, you know, at least feel like they belonged here. Um so I thought they delivered a pretty compelling, you know, very active and creative match with a lot of spots. It, it it's it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be difficult for Jade Cargill every single time she's put on a pay-per-view amongst this sort of roster. But um I I I thought that they, considering everything, like did probably the best that they could. Could you see them doing uh something with, with Paige Van Zandt? Like where do you see they did like pay, they oh, did make note of this like during the match, like cutting to her. Um But but again it's like, you know, we have somebody who's relatively new in Jade Cargill. Can we trust, you know, another person who's brand new? Like we need some veteran somewhere, don't we? I think so. Yeah. I'm just I'm looking at the the names for like like who do you introduce with Paige unless you like pair her into like a tag team or something, but um this is really not a yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting. Like I, I am semi surprised of this Paige Van Zant uh signing as opposed to just doing you know, a one-off match or doing, you know, a, a, a small series she, of matches. She's got some, some mainstream potential value, right. Attached to her and, and of the names that you're going to bring on with, with that potential crossover appeal, she would certainly be one of them. And then we go to CM Punk and MJF in the dog collar match and CM Punk's music plays, but it is cut off and MJF's plays. And this crowd, you would think like they have just announced the match is canceled. Like, they're going to make us wait 60 more seconds till CM Punk comes out and MJF is booed out of the building and the lights go out. And all of a sudden, dude, people were speculating about this. Really? And, oh, yeah. I, I saw some like it, people. I don't know if they were seriously expecting it, but at least throwing it out after, you know, the punk promo this week and so many of the callbacks to Ring of Honor. But they're playing at the finance. What is this? The addition financial arena. <laughs> they play AFI and uh, Benno probably had a heart attack. He had to be resuscitated and out comes <laughs> punk in the same gear when he wrestled Raven in their dog collar match in 2003, like total 
straight edge attire. Only now he's 42, 43. Bit of an awkward look, I have to say. You know, like like with the with the slick back hair and the ball shorts. I mean, um, I wonder if he dyed his hair blonde. Like, I wonder if he considered that for, for tonight. But God, holy shit! Like this was a this was an awesome entrance. Okay, like if anybody who 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 remembers those days and how significant this this AFI. Miseria Kentare song was for CM Punk. Um, I like goosebumps. I'm sure for plenty of people. And introduced as the Second City Saint. <laughs> that's got that's got to oh. suck for the other, the other one. Don't well, you think? Well, uh, we we weren't going that nostalgic oh, with, uh, with Punk. He was not uh, he was not joined by any seconds here. Um, but he comes out. This to me was just it, it was such a cool moment that it was like what. What would our audience just like? What's just a cool thing for our for our audience? And they lost their minds for this. And there how wasn't much like a, how much of the audience though. You, I mean, even if you don't get it though, like you're going to get it now. I think and, I think like there is something to that. That even mm-hmm. if you didn't follow Ring of Honor, it's like it makes you kind of want to be now in on it and 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 figure it out. And it's for those great promotion that are, for that tape library, eh? Well, that was the thing. There was plenty of Ring of Honor mentions throughout this show and Jim Ross flat out stating like it's, you know, Tony Khan's bought the company and, um, you know, th- there was there's a strategic reason to be reintroducing this kind of stuff to your audience if you have the long term plan of marketing all of this stuff to them. So now is there is there no like now we have that expectation that Tony Khan's going to buy the t- the music rights for all of those songs, at least the significant ones, right? It's a great question. Like, how do you put that ring of honor library onto your uh, hypothetical, you know, streaming deal and not have like the final countdown. Yeah. You know, and, and we know the fact that, that Europe wanted some obscene price yeah. uh, when, when they inquired about that. So, I mean, that's part of like what you're navigating and it's not just like random commercial music that they decided to use. Like it was very symbolic of the performer. Like they were very much tied to the music. So mm-hmm. to, it, it was very much like ECW's relationship to music. So that, that is something that they have to navigate. And I'm sure that is something that, you know, Tony Khan, the tape library was so significant that you have to be aware of that, that hurdle and how you're going to get around that. So they are chained up together and punk is just yanking at him immediately. He's using the corner. He's using the chain as like a fulcrum to tie MJF up. And MJF is just apologizing, offering his hand. So punk stomps the hand, which would play a role later in the match. MJF would take over and starts whipping the back and punk gets busted open. And in five minutes, this guy is leaking like a faucet. This guy might need a transfusion by the end of this week. (laughs) Dude, like I, I mean, obviously it must have been like a similar cut um, that was just like probably barely patched on, patched up uh, from from um, Wednesday. He had the cut on his forehead, like, so he had it was target practice here for MJF to just land on the spot. I guess it, it was just as much blood uh, that, as as it was on Wednesday, but prolonged. You know, this man did not seek get medical attention for well, well beyond this, the, tw- this was a twenty six minute match, and oh he was God. gushing at five. So that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Then we had uh, MJF with his uh, Scott Steiner tribute moment as he went over and yelled, give me the fucking mic. And he calls Punk a old timer and tells him to tell the fans you don't love them and quit just like you quit on me. So Punk yells, eat shit, Max. And that led to an eat shit chant from the crowd. Mm-hmm. Yep. Probably a, probably a shirt. An eat, <laughs> eat shit, Max shirt. Yeah. Okay. 
He calls the fans schmucks and gets yanked off the turnbuckle. Punk is just completely covered here. And he goes to the GTS. MJF digs into the cut. He applies the sleeper using the chain just as he did in Chicago, but Punk keeps the arm up. He goes for a pile driver, but it can't be done by MJF because of his injured hand. He can't lift him. Another GTS gets blocked. This time, MJF applies the salt of the earth, and Punk is screaming and rolls up MJF, gets to the Anaconda Vice, and MJF pulls at the hair, and he breaks free. So Punk, again, turning back time. He wraps the chain around the knee, and he brings out the Shining Wizard. Using the chain, sending MJF out of the ring, now MJF is bleeding as well. He misses a knee going into the steps, so now Punk is selling the knee, and again, he can't lift MJF for the GTS. We see MJF bring out a bag of thumbtacks and hits his own step-up knee to Punk, and the crowd was livid at this at this blatant use of CM Punk's own knee maneuver. And the Bulldog gets stopped as he bites MJF's hand. They battle around the tacks. They're just teasing and teasing it. Punk goes for the Pepsi plunge. It's stopped. Punk is crotched. And MJF hits a superplex. And I guess they were going for the tacks. I counted four that made it into Punk's back. Uh, so then after, MJF just knocked him down and Punk just rolled into the tacks. He was going to get punctured one way or the other. I think he had bled enough. This man, this was basically auditioning for the passion of the Christ by the end. MJF is giving up or not literally, but he's frustrated. So he calls on Wardlow who walks down and he's checking one pocket for the ring and another pocket for the ring. And he just looks off at MJF and he can't find it. So punk yanks him back by the chain hits the GTS and sends MJF into the tax And then Wardlow checks another pocket. There's the ring. And in my favorite Wardlow moment ever, the camera's on him and he just brings out the ring and says, oops, (laughs) and puts the ring down onto the apron. Beautiful shot up close. And Punk takes the ring, drills MJF, who spits at him, and then gets hit with the dynamite ring. And Punk pins him in 26 minutes and 33 seconds. What a match. <laughs> Dude, what can you say, man? Um, well, first of all, like just before I forget, the Wardlow bit at the end, I, I saw you tweet about it. I, I'm in complete agreement. Um, he has incredible like cocky energy that I, I mean, I'm honestly surprised that um, for somebody who is relatively, you know, new. Um, but he, he, he's gotten to, they've done such a good job with him. And I think for me, like what's most important about him is not necessarily like the in ring. Cause we haven't been able to see him in like a, you know, so, so, so long of a match yet. But for me, what, what's great about, what, what's great about Wardlow now is just the incredible charisma that he exudes, the incredible confidence that he exudes. And I thought that was perfectly exemplified here in these final moments of the match where he was really called upon to act. You know, and and to play that great scene, uh, fucking around with MJF before you know ultimately finding the ring, and then carefully, very slowly, and very professionally putting it down onto the ring for CM Punk. All of that was done really well. The match itself, I think it they more than lived up to the very violent sort of imagery that they set this dog collar match up to be. So that by the time next, you know, the next time that they promote a dog collar match in AEW. It's going to feel like it's a big deal that's worthy of a pay-per-view. Uh, great display, I think, of their body part injuries throughout. 
it felt like a very special night if you're a CM Punk fan. And it felt like a very special night for CM Punk himself coming out here just from the entrance alone. But then just this match getting to bleed like this. You know, when was the last time in his career he's had an opportunity? It would, wouldn't have been, you know... Like it would have been ROH that that he would have been able to. And like, I imagine much like Brian Danielson, this man was like really in his element, you know, being involved in a match like this. Um, and we, of course, finally, would you consider this the the, the actual Wardlow turn at this point? I, I think that it has to go that, that, that direction now. I mean, I don't know how much more you can, you can really, you know, you, you can stretch it, but like, that's the focus now. It's like MJF has lost. So I think like this should set up Punk getting the next shot at Hangman, which surprises, at- which surprised me. But it also, but they're also one on one now, so they they can do a rubber match. You could you could do the rubber match. You're right. You could mm. do that. That would certainly be like TV, and that could get you like you have three months until the next pay per view. So I would I would have Page and Punk be your your match for Vegas, and maybe you get through one more match on TV. Though this felt like such a finality uh, at the end of it, but you're right, you could do one more, and it does seem like now is the time to pull the trigger on on Wardlow and MJF, which yeah. I'd also which I'd also put at double or nothing. I would I would hold that like you have some time. It just seems to me though, like I mean, three months is a long time mm-hmm. to 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 keep a match away. Um, it, it, and it just makes me wonder if they'll they'll possibly if they're going to do Punk versus Page that they might go to it before that. I mean, on, when did this start? Did, didn't these two have their confrontation, the TV coming out of full gear in November? Um, Man, my memory is not that great. But they did do the match like before this pay-per-view. Yep. This is their second match. So maybe we'll see the same for Punk and, and, and Paige if that. I mean, they never said that this was a title contenders match. We're only kind of making that up in our heads, right? But I mean, so. logically, it should set up Punk for, for, for to be the challenger. That's what I would do personally. It would be great uh, for TV or pay-per-view. Yeah, this was a, uh, you know, tr- tremendous brawl. I thought that this, it's like, it's really enjoyable watching CM Punk, who has just Bleed. come back and the man is in love with professional wrestling. Yeah, completely, completely, completely. It's like, I think like, you know, having seen him for so long, um, I think he had like a very similar energy when he went to MMA, except in MMA, he couldn't find success. Like, you know, he really wanted to, you know, like the moments of him, like, you know, walking to that octagon for the first time, walking out to the crowd, like he was really excited. He wanted And you had the opposite. You had a fan base that was so adamantly against him versus Mm -hmm. this audience that is so wanting of CM Punk. And I think that it's, um, you know, there was whatever you want to say about Punk in MMA, the man absolutely loved that sport and and the training aspect and mm. there are not many people that would put themselves through that amount of like you really have to be able to block out a lot of negativity that he was subjected to for years for years it was 2014 he signed with UFC and his last fight was 2018 and man he was just like I think he honestly had a great passion for it it was just the platform he was on that just brought so much ridicule that he never would have received if he just went straight to, you know, an LFA or something like that. And, and of course, the limitations of his age. You know, he was starting really late and he was really in the deep end with a lot of people, even a Mickey Gall. But um, in, in pro wrestling, I mean, he, he is a master. Like, he is, you know, a Randy Couture, you know, like, in, in this world. And I, I think also significant is the fact that you're right. Like, the man looks like he absolutely loves wrestling again. 
And that's something he himself said was not the case many years ago. So the the unenviable task of following that was Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa for the Women's Championship. And Baker comes out with the new updated version of the AEW Women's title, a larger belt. And so there was a lot of involvement here of Jamie Hayter and Rebel who were in the corner of Britt Baker and constantly distracting Paul Turner. Uh, Baker uh, injures the shoulder of Thunder Rosa and is focusing on that. Um, She hit multiple air raid crashes and the glove gets passed to Baker, but she is stopped when she is hit with a shotgun drop kick and a superplex and Thunder Rosa is firing back. Uh, again, Baker goes for the lock. John, it's countered. Baker gets a cross face and Thunder Rosa just rolls out hitting a suplex and Thunder Rosa finally hits a tombstone after several reversals, but Rebel distracts Turner and then she knocks Rebel off the apron. Hater then passes the belt to Baker, which sets up a curb stomp onto the title and Thunder Rosa still kicks out. Big pop here. Like they really had to work to get this crowd, but for some of the, the near falls, uh, they did get them. And again, goes for the lock jaw. She kicks off the ropes and Thunder Rosa reverses and it looks like she's going for her own lock jaw. Baker counters and Thunder Rosa applies a submission when Rebel distracts again. And Paul Turner is like, the submission's applied and he just puts all of his attention on Rebel and just walks away. So Thunder Rosa gets up and she does the Big E spear, taking Rebel off the apron to the floor, then nails Jamie Hayter with a lariat, rolls into the ring and is right in position to take a curb stomp as Baker pins her in 17 minutes and 22 seconds. Um, I I thought with so many of the run-ins, it just seemed like, okay, this has to be Thunder Rosa is going to prevail at the end of all of this. And when she lost, it just seemed like the air was taken out. But then you see where everything is set up and Thunder Rosa is going to take on Layla Hirsch on Wednesday. The following week, they are doing St. Patrick's Day Slam, the same event where her and Baker had their match last year. And it's in Thunder Rosa's hometown of San Antonio, Texas. Oh, so. After seeing that, I can understand why they did that. They did it this way. Um, hmm. You could argue that maybe you didn't need to do this at the pay per view, but I mean, it is what it is. But it feels like she gets screwed out of here, and somehow she gets to San Antonio, and Rebel and Jamie Hader are thwarted, whether they're banned from ringside or Thunder Rosa's backup. But it feels like one year after the lights out match, now it's the lights on match. <laughs> very nice. Okay, I did not put put all of that together, John. That's very good. That may, I mean, I think that makes maybe the the result of this a bit more palatable. Um, the match itself, I actually thought was a really good match, but in the the worst slot of of the entire show, without the advantage of having blood, which obviously was a big aid in their first encounter, which is um, probably the reason they put this in between Danielson and Moxley rather than have the blood back to back. Um, sure. Okay. Yeah. If that, if that's, I, I don't know if this is a company that necessarily says, "Oh, that's too much blood." <laughs> blood in uh, every I match. I also think seventeen. I, I, I think this could have been shaved down a bit. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it needed to be a big, a big enough fight that you felt like Thunder Rosa was still in contention. You know, like you had to protect Thunder Rosa in a way, and I think you had to give a satisfying performance for the women on on the show. Uh, but again, unfortunate slot on 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 the show. This was a crowd that was pretty quiet for this one. But again, I don't necessarily chalk it up to the performance as much as I think the placement of the show and the the handicaps in not being able to maybe, you know, go as far as maybe their last match. Um, and and I, for certain, you would think like they they're absolutely headlining that that show in San Antonio. 
I would think so. Unless yeah, Layla Hirsch so. wins on Wednesday. Then the <laughs> Layla Hirsch being crowned in San Antonio. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, that would be, that would be like promoting a house show for two weeks uh, around a mystery opponent. <laughs> and then you come up with like the worst idea possible. Like yeah. you just, why would you do that? But, but on the topic of the interferences, I, I mean, I thought this was at least begging for a Mercedes Martinez appearance. You know, she's been backing her up the entire time. Like, why wasn't she here at the end? Yeah, that, that was definitely a hole in this. Um, that, hmm. you know, she was outnumbered constantly. It wasn't like it was just one interference spot. It was multiples. And when she finally fought them off, I mean, she just rolls in and boom, uh, curb stomp. So um, after hearing that announcement, I think everything is geared around that, that St. Patrick's Day slam. So Danielson and Moxley is following that, and the crowd is chanting, we want violence, and we start off with a grappling exhibition. And, man, to know that that Brian Danielson, that his heavy influence right now is Gordon Ryan grappling tapes, uh, that to me just opens up what a, what a wide array of influence that Daniel Bryan is looking for in his pro wrestling. I, I'm assuming you're referring to the Wrestling Observer interview? Yes. Which I have yes. not heard yet. But, oh, okay. you've, you've got to listen to this. Yeah, he's just big on Gordon, watching Gordon Ryan grappling. Very cool. Um, so it starts off, and the way this was like um, set up is that here you have the uh, this is uh, this is our Observer Award match with the best technical wrestler against the best brawler from this year. So we got like the first portion was grappling, and Moxley is like goading him into fighting by slapping him, and. You had uh, an exchange of leg kicks here, and Danielson was just great. At one point, he he lands a kick, and then he just goes over to the corner. He's doing jumping jacks. So then Moxley later gets in his big kick, and then he goes to do jumping jacks as well. Um, we saw this kind of escalate into a brawl, and Danielson uh, starts nailing him with suplexes, and these two were just rifling off kicks to one another. Like, just absolutely brutal stuff to the chest, to the head, to the legs. There was one where Moxley, he was going for the chest, and he came so close and maybe, like, hit, like, his throat slash chin. It just seemed like he was could have knocked this guy out. They were just firing with everything here. Um, they trade knees from the tie clinch position. Moxley's throwing out headbutts, and then the paradigm shift gets blocked, and Danielson hits a rolling elbow and a big lariat. Both men go down, and Danielson applies a dragon sleeper with body scissors. Moxley gets to the rope, and Ross is no... Like, this was a match that it was like... The crowd was engaged, but they weren't super loud for it. It was much more like this was... It was kind of presented as like this physical chess match, um, I, I, would, I, I didn't sense the crowd was like not into this. It just they were not loud for it because it was really not tailored for big reactions. I mean, at this point, I think this much of this crowd was still kind of coming down off of the punk MJF. And really, at this point, it was the length of the show as well. And also the knowledge that you still had like three matches, you know, to come following this one. Like by this point, what would you say? It was like 1030, like 10 o'clock, like somewhere yeah, in that it's, hour. It was about 1030. So, I mean, we had watched already three and a half hours of wrestling by this point. And, and you know, knowing that there was still more to come, I, I do feel like there was an element of, of the crowd being a bit tired. There was and, probably but, but, some, some of that. But it was like w when they went to like the like spot moments, like the mm -hmm. audience was reacting. But like some of this, it was like it was a lot of grappling. There was a lot of submissions that mm -hmm. were just being countered out of. My favorite part was like midway through and Jim Ross just goes, what are you doing, Tony? 
And I guess he was like at the edge of his seat and he's explaining this, that he's just so excited about this match. But Jim Ross is just like, well, what are you doing? And I'm just trying to fit this visual. Like how was Tony sitting on his seat that prompted Jim Ross to call this man out on pay-per-view <laughs> maybe for his he was, excitement level? Maybe he was like so on the edge of his seat that he was off the chair and he was just like doing a bit air squat. <laughs> I don't know. What could be so weird about somebody being on the edge of their seat? I don't know, but it was, <laughs> what are you doing, Tony? <laughs> so Moxley slips out of a dragon sleeper. He's drilling him with elbows. He's going for the rear naked choke. Danielson goes to the label lock. He's cross-facing him. They lock wrists, and they're just kicking at one another from this position. And Moxley's getting the best of it, gets to the bulldog choke, and tries for a roll-up, but loses the grip. And Danielson is up. Busaiku knee stomps uh Stomps Moxley in the head and then gets the triangle sleeper. And he's hitting him with elbows. Moxley is trying to break this from any chance he can. He grabs at the man's beard to try and break this. So Danielson readjusts and he just drills him with punches to the face. And Moxley gets over with like this jackknife bridge and catches Danielson for the three count in 21 minutes and five seconds. And Danielson gets up and he is pissed. He is shoving Bryce Remsburg and he just got caught. It was a very lovely finish that I thought was was really quite clever because it was I mean, first of all, you have to we have to appreciate the setup to all of this because Brian Danielson has been win- winning with the triangle in his uh, TV matches and not only winning, but like getting like quick victories through him as well. So I think by the time they set it up here, it. It it was, you know, it was a significant moment of the match. And I think very justifiably, if Moxley were to lose to it, uh, it would have made more than perfect sense. But I think it was also brilliant that it was Moxley here, the brawler, brawler of the year, according to the the Wrestling Observer, uh, beating the technical wrestler of of the year with a technical move countering that submission. Uh, So really, really nice finish here. Uh, It was kind of a surprise kind of coming out of nowhere as well. And uh, overall, you know, maybe my maybe unfortunate issues with some of the crowd energies aside, I I thought this was really a tremendous match. You know, this was the type of match where if they opened the show, I think we'd be I would look at look be looking at it maybe a lot more favorably than than maybe I I am coming out of it. Um, but but it was really really great. I I thought it was a great match. I thought that like it's it's a style I I really enjoy uh, between these two. It was something different from everything else on the show. Um. But yeah, it, it wasn't like a wild crowd reaction to it, um, but a really great finish. Something that, man, if, if Kurt Pellegrino uh, could only have known, he Nate Diaz would have been in trouble. Um, jackknife I his way out. A jackknife cover, but there are no three counts, though, in, pro, in MMA. He could have ma- maybe escaped, at least. Mm, maybe. So they continue to fight. Security runs down to separate them and then appears William Regal, who I'm not kidding you, might have gotten the biggest reaction on this show. CM Punk, Brian Danielson, John Moxley, Chris Jericho. I think William Regal took the cake here. He comes out, he separates them, and dude, it's he's going to be their version of Anoki. He just winds up and slaps Moxley, winds up and slaps Danielson, and gets the two to shake hands, make up. And you two are going to team, and you better win the tag titles. Because that's what I'd be doing with these two. I, you know, I don't know if I'd seen William Regal get physical like this in his uh, any any point during during his NXT run, slapping people as hard as he can in the face. Um, 
a big surprise here. You know, I, I hadn't even really seen any rumor that William Regal would was to be a part of a show like this. So um, I think we're going to get that faction, John. And I mean, yeah. is 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 Regal essentially going to play the uh, JJ of this group? I think so. That's I, awesome. I so. What a great idea. Like, can you imagine like in 2022, like William Regal overseeing a group of like Danielson, Moxley, Garcia, Lee Moriarty. It's amazing. Like, I, I think it's a great, amazing. great idea. And I, I seriously like Danielson and Moxley should win the tag titles and just think yeah. of the matches that they would have for the next year. Um, I think yeah. eat, um, I'd love th- there's a lot that. you can do a lot you can do. So th- this was a fantastic angle and, um, I'm looking forward to like a William Regal promo on Wednesday. He, he's also going by William. Yes, so they are calling it. him William Regal. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Shivani then uh, plugs Dynamite with uh, what's coming up. So Guevara and Scorpio Sky. Wardlow gets the winner the following week. And then Layla Hirsch against Thunder Rosa this Wednesday. Winner faces Britt the next week at the Freeman Coliseum in San Antonio. Matt Hardy, Andrade El Idolo, and Isaiah Cassidy against Sammy Guevara, Darby Allen, and Sting in the Tornado Trios match. <laughs> Can we talk about... When I looked at this card, John, okay, maybe buying aside. When I looked at this card, 12 matches, do we really need Sammy Guevara teaming with Darby Allen and Sting taking on the goddamn AHFO? <laughs> the answer coming out of this was yes. We absolutely needed this match. This was a, the sleeper hit of the night. The greater question is, did you envision uh, when AEW launched that there is, if there is going to be a New Jack-style character, <laughs> it'll be Sting. Where we could just blare music Sting. over his brawls <laughs> yeah. a couple times a year, and that's what we got here. I mean, like, there was so much talent in this. I was not thinking this was going to be uh, poor, um, you were just wondering where this was going to fit on the show, and Sting, like we've seen it enough times. Like this guy, when he is when he is tapped to go out there, the guy is leaving everything out there, and he amazed me and, in this one. And, and he has an incredibly talented group of people around him to 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 set up those spots. Dude, the combination of like Andrade, Guevara, and Darby is mm-hmm. just uh, like yeah. you saw it on Friday, but it was mm-hmm. just on like Andrade like excelled in this kind of environment. Um, yeah. So first we get this video and it's a funeral scene for the AHFO done in like black and white. And this is all for Darby's entrance. And this features, there is a trailer and all of a sudden there is a Jeep that flies through the sky and crashes into the trailer. And out of the Jeep comes Darby Allen who delivers a coffin drop off of this trailer. Sting appears in this, heavily financed student production and yells run as he has a blowtorch and just torches. No, 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 a flame flame thrower, flame thrower, blowtorch doesn't do it justice. A flame thrower. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it's the type of video that, that makes you go, what the fuck? And, um, it makes you go, wow, that was awesome. When this I don't know is what pitched, I just watched, when this but it is was pitched awesome. to Sting, does he just sign off? Does he he's, have creative input? Is he, you know what? No. He's going with everything. And that's what's so great about like, you know, 62 year old dad Sting. He's just like, he, he's like, okay, the kids think this is cool. I trust you. All right, let's do it. This was a, uh, this was something else. So 
everyone just starts brawling. And that's what this match is going to be. Everyone doing crazy, insane shit for 13 and a half minutes. Um, Andrade just, dude, like swung for the fences with this crazy chair shot towards Darby. Uh, Guevara's thrown onto a rail. We have Hardy and Cassidy double teaming Sting, but he does the pop-up. Crowd's going nuts for this. Um, so Quen shows up and smashes this chair into Guevara on the top rope, and he falls to the floor, and they end up executing Silly String on the floor using the guardrail onto Guevara. Butcher and Blade appear, and they set up the, the, the table spot of doom by this balcony. Meanwhile, on the stage, Cassidy and Guevara end up on this riser over top these two tables, and Guevara ends up executing a one-man Spanish fly off this riser and comes crashing down. This did not look fun for Cassidy, and he was gone for the rest of the match. Uh, over by the balcony, Sting fights back, but there's too many AHO, AHFO members. I cannot wait till this group disbands. Uh, Hardy low blows Sting and takes him through the crowd, brings him to the balcony, and Andrade gets set up onto the stack of four tables. Sting is left alone, and he leaps off the balcony and crashes through the tables with Andrade. Sting did a balcony dive through tables. I I just I couldn't believe it. I couldn't I turned believe 63 it. in three weeks. Yeah. Here's the other stat. The combined ages of Sammy Guevara and Darby Allen do not equal Sting's age, okay? And the person doing the balcony dive is is, is Sting. Are you I thought for me? sure that it was going to be Darby doing the coffin drop through those four tables, and it was yeah. Sting. So Hardy and Darby go back to the ring. There's chair shots to Darby. He sets up a twist of fate through the chair, which Darby stops, and he hits a scorpion death drop through the chair and then climbs to the top and goes for the coffin drop. Unfortunately, Matt is like turning over and you're jumping backwards. So Darby can't see this and kind of like headbutts his rib. Uh, but it was enough to pin him in 1323. Did fall short, unfortunately. But I mean, he did take the scorpion death drop on the chair prior to it. Was, it was so. it was fine. It was it was fine. And this was just mayhem for 13 and a half minutes. It earned its spot on this show, no doubt. And this, listen, after all of this, as you're palate cleanser i don't think Fuck. you can call this a palate cleanser this was like um i don't know this was like um a flamethrower into your mouth <laughs> for 13 and a half minutes it was insane this was a great match and i i often go back to this john but one of my favorite matches to ever follow a significant match in wrestling history is after bret hart versus stone cold steve austin at wrestlemania 13 in my opinion the best wrestlemania match of all time Ahmed Johnson and the Legion of Doom taking on the Nation of Domination in a Chicago street fight, okay? Where they Ken used every, everything, including the kitchen sick. <laughs> yes. Like, you follow the, the emotional uh, roller coaster of a Brett versus Austin at WrestleMania. And how do you follow it? But with a bunch of guys storming the ring, hitting each other over the head with shit, okay? I don't always love these pl plunder matches, but, like... 
on a pay-per-view that sort of, I, I think really needed some sort of variety and just sort of some sort of mindless entertainment of guys going through tables and 62-year-old men jumping off of balconies. Like this to me was the exact type of match that this show needed following, you know, something like a Punk versus MJF. I thought it did a great job of grabbing the crowd back. Didn't really give you any time to just rest. There's no psychology to focus on. You're just watching like people fall through shit. And and it was spectacular and it was entertaining. Uh, and I didn't think I would be saying that about this match, you know, looking at the card heading into it. Yeah, it's like psychology is a funny thing. It's a, it's like a term that gets thrown out there. It's like the psychology is you're following three and a half hours of some of the best wrestling you have seen. Mm-hmm. And psychology is getting over to the crowd. And they did that for 13 and a half minutes. And sometimes you don't have to overthink it. And this was just, it was a car crash for 13 and a half minutes. The audience went nuts. You had an unthinkable stunt involving Sting. Darby and Guevara are out of their minds. Andrade was fantastic in this. I mean, it's just, all these pieces fit. It was nice. Um, and, and it just increases that Sting, like, legacy, like, to another <laughs> level. Like, wow. The man, I seriously like it was. Oh, we missed a, another big spot that, which was also fucking crazy, was Jose the translator was placed on a chair with a trash can over his head, and Darby did his crazy tope suicida that Jose could not prepare for. Like he couldn't even see when the guy was coming. That was crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't even the craziest thing in the match, but there you go. We also, of course, have to mention, like, uh, Jeff Hardy, his contract runs out on Wednesday. So, I mean, uh, imminent arrival. No teases here, of course, but I I imagine, you know, some follow-up coming off of the result of this match. Yeah, and I think that's going to be interesting of how you, like, certainly there's, like, the Hardy Boy reunion. um, But, I, I like, how... How far do you go with that? Like, that's an interesting you, question. You, 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 the battle of the balcony dies between Sting and Jeff Hardy, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, s- something tells me, and I think we should be, like, watching this this Sting run here, that I, I think they're going to get a lot more out of the Hardy reunion run than WWE did in 2017, where amazing return at WrestleMania, and a month later, they were just guys on the show doing, like, a tribute act. I think they will have yeah. it better bet. thought out this time. And then we go to the main event, uh, the the toughest position in pro wrestling on this day. Hangman Page against Adam Cole. And Cole comes out in this Halo-inspired armor. I have never played Halo, so this was, this was lost on, my, on, on myself. I played Halo. I, I mean, as far as, like, you know, ring entrances go, I, I didn't think this was that spectacular. So it's the crowd's into it. They're chanting, let's go, Adam, as the match begins. And they're chanting every iter- like version of, you know, um, the, so the, forget like, you know, long promos or forget like great backstories. Evidently, all you really needed to do to build up to a big world title match main event on a pay-per-view is to have two wrestlers with the same first name. Because this crowd loved the idea of these two wrestlers both being named Adam. So all this time of WWE changing people's names, they had a it was the wrong idea. Really, yeah. The the Shane McMahon, um, Shane Helms main event we could have had. They missed out. So um some spectacular stuff here. Uh Paige hits a apron bomb, followed by a Orihara moonsault to the floor, and then there is a Liger bomb where Jim Ross quizzes Excalibur on the spot. What's the difference between a Liger bomb and a power bomb? 
And Excalibur passed the test because he gave a perfect explanation of the Liger bomb. It's a seated version mm-hmm. where the legs are extended mm-hmm. and not and different from the regular power bomb. So Page hits a dead eye for a two count and stops Cole from removing his knee pad. And he himself removes the elbow pad and goes for the lariat, but is caught into the cross face. We had a, a, a tombstone battle. They fight on the turnbuckle and it ends with Page hitting the fallaway moonsault, sets up for the buckshot lariat when Red Dragon comes out. And this leads to Cole landing the first of many super kicks and then a Panama sunrise to the floor. He goes for another inside the ring. It's blocked and goes for the dead eye, but he can't hit it. So Red Dragon distracts the referee, low blow, Panama Sunrise, and the boom is hit. But Page kicks out, and Excalibur explains that he didn't want to upset the momentum he was on, so he didn't lower the knee pad like he usually does for the boom, and therefore did not boom with enough boom. (laughs) Yes. Buckshot is attempted again into a super kick, and then we get multiple super kicks from Cole. And as he goes for the boom, Page collapsed, and Cole cannot hit it. Red Dragon brings out the timekeeper's table, and they fight on the apron, and it ends with Page taking Cole off the apron with the dead eye through the table. Now Dark Order runs down, and it leads to them fighting Red Dragon to the back, and Cole gets hit with the buckshot lariat. He's right near the rope and gets his hand on the rope for another near fall. Page then uses his belt, tying Cole to the rope, nails him with super kicks, then runs off the ropes into a super kick from Cole. But Page comes back, super kick, lowers his own knee pad, hits the boom on Cole, buckshot lariat, and pins Cole in 25-45. And after, he shook Adam Cole's hand as he was prone on the mat. Uh, I thought it was a magnificent match. You know, I, I, I would say pretty much a flawless performance from both men here. I I thought it was pretty engaging. And for it to be even this engaging, this deep into the show for a match that I didn't necessarily even consider the third hottest in terms of build with no blood, I found it really impressive. And, you know, Hangman Page, I think, is a spectacular performer in every single one of these AEW title matches he's had so far. Like... I I I personally feel like he he's going he he should definitely be in the in the running for wrestler of the year come uh, if, if certainly if he continues at this pace but he's not always like the top of conversation because I think like you know Punk is so much of a bigger star Brian is so much of a bigger star but Paige is in that caliber in terms of talent to me and I think it's only a matter of time um and you know performances like this before he really gets there I. I, I'm sure like at least some people would have questioned the choice of this being in the main event, but I thought the performance here justified it. Um, I thought it was a very good match. Yeah, I, I thought I thought they did a terrific job having to follow as much as, as they could. Um, I, I thought I thought like a really strong match, not my match of the show, but I thought they worked super hard for the 25 minutes that they had to, to follow an, an incredible show. And yeah, um, no blood. I mean, like, yeah, they, they didn't have they didn't have a lot of stuff to work with besides just like time and their abilities. And, and for that reason and coming at the end of the show, I I thought they deserve a lot of credit. Incredible show. Like, I, I just thought this was a like a really fantastic show from from AEW on Sunday night. Yeah, I don't disagree. It's going to be in cont- contention for for show of the year. Um 
I mean, some people in the comments are saying one of the best shows of all time. It's hard for me to to say that with with the recency bias. I think for me, like the the crowd reactions towards the the end of the show were were something left to be desired. And I don't really blame the crowd. Like it was, it's a long show, and and I do feel like AEW should sometimes consider the idea of less being more for these shows. Um, I understand they only have four of these and they want to load them up to make people feel that, that they have their money's worth. And not everybody's going to agree with me, but sometimes for me, I feel like, you know, uh, less is a bit more, especially when you're talking about three matches on the buy-in. Yeah. I mean, it, it can be argued. I, I didn't think it was like a, I don't think it brought it down. And I, again, I would say that like all in, uh, all out last year, Full Gear and then this one, to me, have been their three best shows, and I thought this was the best of the three. I thought that this was just an an, an incredible, incredible uh, wrestling show. And if this is kind of the the bar that we are going to be seeing, um, like the, these are going to be ahead of like the, the, those runs of of takeovers. Like it's mm-hmm. like the the idea of doing a show that is five hours as opposed to like takeover that was largely you know five match show seemed to be like there's your perfect formula for for a wrestling show and they're they're putting out these you know high high caliber uh events uh one thing i just want to note uh at the press conference afterwards two things uh hangman page did address the crowd afterwards and someone sent me the promo but i haven't heard all of it i guess he got some booze but i, I haven't heard the whole promo and it may have only been uh scattered um but at the post-show press conference and these notes come from a J.J. Williams uh, from the Observer site. Um, it sounded like CM Punk like got really emotional at the press conference over um, AEW now having the ROH footage stating that they're, the footage is in the right hands and not just some tab on some shitty, confusing app. So <laughs> it seems like it uh, it meant a lot to him that uh, Tony Khan now has his ROH footage. So I mean, anyway. it, that's the man's legacy. It's a lot of work that I'm sure he's incredibly proud of. And I mean, I'm sure he's happy that it's not with a company that he once sued. Um, j- just while I've got it here, these uh, some other notes here. When Tony Khan spoke, he said, uh, it's been a busy time. He's still in a preliminary time when it comes to ROH going forward. I do want to continue the operations moving forward. He said that with uh, Regal being here, he's excited to have him on screen and behind the scenes, stating that the deal came together very fast. And regarding Swerve, he said he was very surprised to be available and Revolution will be a big stage to introduce Swerve to the AEW program. So there you go. Those are some of the comments. Uh, If there's more news coming out of that, we will talk about those tomorrow. There you go. Now it's uh, off to you folks if you want to chime in with your thoughts. Okay, so at this time, we're trying something brand new here. We're, we're doing this off of StreamYard, but at this time, we would like to extend the invite to our Double Double Plus patrons at postwrestlingcafe.com to call in through StreamYard. So that means if you're listening to this right now, you should have received a link in your email. This is when you can click on that link and enter the room, and I will go to you. And again, I encourage you, we can only have 10 spaces, including the two of us concurrently so if you are not able to get in you can try a bit uh more after we we get through the callers but uh if you're in the room i'm going to try to go to you okay so we start off here with bruce lord and i hope to god that this works bruce lord are you there if you are please unmute yourself and uh we will try to get to you hey guys you got me wow we're the beautiful chime okay we got you we can hear you bruce hi I apologize. I'm riding on the uh, the subway back home from a friend's place where I where I watched the show this evening. Um, man, I mean, in terms of bell to bell, 
I have to think this was the best AEW show there's been uh, to date. I don't know that we had anything on the uh, the level of you know the the Danielson and Punk arrivals that specifically set uh, all out apart last year. But you know the question of is this too much? I mean, <laughs> you you can maybe make a case that it is, but when the too much is wrestling of this high quality with essentially no false steps, I thought whatsoever. Uh, there, there's really nothing to complain about. I apologize. I kind of joined in about how I didn't hear your comments about this. To my mind, the only, only, only quibble that I could possibly make would be kind of the, the slight overbooking and maybe the, the wrong decision in the, uh, the women's title match that maybe happened there, but everything else just absolutely hit the right note and seemed to cap off uh, a build that has been going for so well for a number of months now. No complaints whatsoever. This was just a just a fantastic show back to front. Yeah, I think that's going to be the large sentiment from a lot of people. Like I, I can just say like after five hours, like I, I, I didn't feel any kind of drag or downtime for me. And, you know, that's and it's daunting when you're looking at like what a deep lineup and five hours. But it was, um, you know, again, like I said off the top, I, I thought this was a, a home run show. Thank you so much, Bruce, for the call. Much appreciated, and enjoy that subway ride back home. Be safe. We go to somebody who I believe, MJ, were you at the show? I'm at, I was at the show, and I'm on the ride home now. All right. Okay. Everyone's in transit. I'm going was... to echo yeah. Bruce Lord and say that was bell to bell the best I've ever seen AEW. And I went to All Out last year in Grand Slam. Those two shows were hyped for different reasons, but bell to bell tonight, wow. What what were some of the highlights uh, for you? I mean, of course, um, we can probably predict, but tell us, especially with well, the live to, uh, atmosphere. To, to steal something I think John said, if the opening match was Budokan Hall, the second match was in Reseda, and the third match felt like it took place in Full Sail. In the first three matches, we got three different styles that were just unbelievable opening that I actually didn't know how the show was going to go on after that. Like I felt like the crowd might lose interest or not lose interest, but lose steam. Um, I went with a buddy tonight who's never been to an AEW show. This blew all his expectations out of the water, all the hype I put on it all weekend. He said it matched it, exceeded it. And it was like, he was kind of surprised that I was a little bit more mellow during that Mox Bryan match. And I don't think it's people weren't into it. I think the crowd is very well learned, that they know how to conserve the energy. Because by the time we got to the dueling Adam chance, that was wild. I don't know if it came across on TV, but we had every Adam, every chant for Adams imaginable. It was so much fun by the end that the crowd just, you know, four hours. Uh, it was another one of those venues where it wraps around the line to get in, but everyone's just orderly, everyone's communal. Uh, the line moves very quickly, and then everyone's in the seat by 7.30 for the pre-show. It was packed. I don't think there were – I sent John a picture. I don't think there were open seats by the 7.30 mark. And, and we, what did – what was uh, from, the, from the promo with Hangman? What did he say to the crowd afterwards? Just how much that this means to him, the title, that it's harder to keep it than it was ever to win it or to ever, you know, win it the first time. I think he said – uh, I wouldn't say it was a heel promo by any means, but definitely more than I've noticed or more than I've observed live and on TV. Like, the crowd was very much split, which with Hangman, there hasn't been any of that for the last year or so, um, almost even since the start of AEW. So that was kind of just the one thing I picked up on that. Like, even in the end, 
the crowd wasn't fully like back to cowboy shit. I think that Adam Cole's got something that is really, really uh, special. Because when I used to go to NXT in Brooklyn, it was Adam Cole, Bebe all over the place in the subway rides, everyone yelling it with the way home. Now in Orlando, it's Adam Cole City again. I mean, he just, I don't know, one day he'll be the champion there. I'm glad it wasn't tonight. It wasn't the right time, but that guy's so over. What was your match of the night, MJ? My match of the night was probably the the tag, the second match of the night, the Bucks, Red Dragon, and uh, Luchasaurus, and, and Jungle Boy. Uh, props to Jurassic Express because, you know, they really showed out. And by the end of that match, they felt like the real big tag team uh, with the other two legendary teams in there. That probably wasn't easy. Um, and and I, I think that the... I need to rewatch the Punk MJF match because there was probably a lot of nuance in there that you don't pick up live. I think that one's probably a better rewatch and watch it on uh, pay per view than live. That one's hard to pick up all the time. Uh, the details that they're probably putting into it. Okay, right. Th- thank you so much for the live report, MJ. Please uh, drive safe. Let's go up next to Words Greenwood. You are on, and you're on with video. How are you doing, Words? Uh oh, we can't hear you, unfortunately. Might have a mic issue. You might have to select the proper input for your mic. So why don't you try to sort that out? I will try you a little bit later on. Okay, let's go up next to Hanzi. Hanzi, are you there? And if you are, please unmute yourself. Hello, Hanzi. What's going on, guys? There we are. Hey, Hanzi. Can you hear me? Yep. Yes, we can. Okay, let's go. I think... Um... I think I think my audio is a little bit um like your audio is a little bit more behind than 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 that that I'm letting on right now. So I'll just uh, I'll just speed through what I gotta say, and then you know I, I just don't want to cause any any rift within the podcast or whatever. But I'll just say that um uh, the I, I top to bottom this may have been like one of my favorite cards. I was willing to say that after the whole Moxley and uh, the whole Moxley and Brian match. I didn't think the main event was bad or anything. I just thought, compared to whatever everything else was, it's not a bad thing that, like, other things shine on your show, you know what I mean? We're so used to, like, the main event always shining all the time, like, the heavyweight title being the main thing, so it was good to have, like, four or five things that, like, became highlights from the show. Like, uh, I, I can't say enough good things about even the match I didn't really care for, the, the trios match. I, I I was ready to like kind of give it up there, but that was like a really really crazy match. Uh, the way that I see this going with Punk and MJF, which is, but to me, this was a great. To me, this is like like my Brahart Steve Austin generation. It's like it's like right up there for me. And I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say that like I I can see them doing a rubber match. But the thing is like. Even if they got a title shot, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility in the sense that that's always been the one issue that's been hanging above this, that Punk and Punk and uh, MJF both are going for the title. So, like, to me, I could see them doing a rubber match and then eventually going to that. And then I could also see that if MJF wins it at double or nothing, that Wardlow would actually be a good, like, opponent for him for all in. Like, he, may, he might not win it, but, like, but by then you assume that Wardlow will be a little more established. And then that would be a good first defense for MJF. And uh, I'll get off right now. I kind of got, you guys got a lot of callers kind of late. So thank you guys for a good show. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I'll, I'll see you guys tomorrow. Peace out. Thanks, Hansi. Thank you, Hansi. Uh, always appreciate your thoughts, Hansi. Uh, and it looks like we're um, uh, Words Greedwood could not figure out that audio. So better luck next time, Words. 
And now at this point, let's go to some of your super chats. Uh, all of you guys, of course, on YouTube have the ability to send your feedback either through the forum. But if you're not a Post Wrestling Cafe patron or if you simply want to show your support uh, above your, your patronage, we invite you to send us a super chat. And we first go to Painkiller, who sends a two pound super chat, says, cheers for another month of great content. Thank you so much for the Thank support, you. Pain. We go to Doug Greenwood, who may or may not be similar to Words Greenwood, but he did send a 20-pound Super Chat who says, AEW, the second best thing in pro wrestling, just behind post-wrestling. Thanks, Way and John and the rest of the team. Thank I don't know if we can go five hours. I don't know if we, we keep people's attention for five hours. We need to draw blood for sure, at yeah. least. Uh, thank you very much for that support. We go to Jay Hath, who sends a $5 Super Chat, who says, Great show. I loved how many matches had endings that weren't obvious or predictable. I never would have guessed no title changes. AEW is on fire. I didn't even realize no title changes. I mean, hmm. you had, f- what, four four title matches? Yeah, it's um, not stunning. I don't think anyone expected Paige to lose. I don't think anyone expected Jade to lose. Tag titles, I guess you could you could have made um, the argument for. And then you had... Um, but but who's going to leave this show feeling unsatisfied? Right. I think like, the title match that people thought was Thunder Rosa. And I think that given where Dynamite is, you can understand why they didn't do it on on Sunday. Sure. But, uh, you know, all I'm saying is you don't need to have a title change, you know, to to make the show feel worthwhile. I mean, I, the, to, the, the wrestling, if the wrestling is great, that more than makes up for any just sort of, you know, title change for the sake of title change. So uh, thank you for that observation, Jay Hath. And finally, we, we go to R- Redvin, Redvin25 with a $5 super chat, who has a question from his girlfriend. For way, are those Lego minifigs in the display to the left of the camera? The answer is yes. Yes, a full IKEA lac oh, or wow. whatever, whatever they're called, you know, IKEA frame, a custom frame I, I built with, uh, with my girlfriend at that time. So the answer is yes. All Lego minifigures. So thank you guys for your super chats. At this point, because it's a long show, we do, of course, always go to forum.postwrestling.com for our patrons' feedback. So, uh, John, would you like to start us off? Yeah, we'll go through these uh, quickly here. Cody, this card was so action-packed that by the end it was almost difficult to remember everything that happened, although I view that as a positive. The crowd was up for nearly the entirety of a five-hour show, so a tip of the cap to them. It was a near-perfect show, 9.5 out of 10 for me, with the only just-okay match being Britt and Rosa. I, like many others, was very surprised at the lack of a title change, and while it would have been similar to the MJF Wardlow story, I think the reception for the match would have been better had we gotten to the point where Jamie Hayter had split off from Britt. She has, she has no help. She loses the title and has a natural feud to spin off to at the same time we get fresh matches with rosa as champion instead the finish tonight felt a bit house of torture-esque yeah i i certainly if they were not uh announcing and going to san antonio i would have a very i would certainly concur because watching that um that that is how it, it felt and i think that it just they are going to maximize this uh san antonio match for thunder rosa Mark P says, I feel like this is the third AEW pay-per-view in a row that I'm saying this felt like the perfect show. There was the usual midpoint show crowd lull due to exhaustion, exhaustion, but the continuation of Mox and Brian and Regal's debut won them back big time, and their energy stayed through the show. Just a stellar show. So many awesome moments. Okay, we go to Jay from Colorado. The AMC Theater we went to watch tonight's show forgot to order the pay-per-view. 
The buy-in was playing, but when the show started, the order screen came up, and none of the apathetic teens working at the theater knew what to do. Even the on-duty manager was clueless about what to do. I'm captivated by this. So my group of friends and I went back to my place 30 minutes down the road to watch the show. Unfortunately, you can't rewind the pay-per-views once the show starts, so we started an hour late. You can rewind on Fight, though. Yeah, you can. You should have just, uh, yeah, just uh, ordered it on fight and set it up on your TV. Sorry, what oh, was this guy watching on? This was at the AMC theater. No, no, no. But I mean, uh, not being able to rewind. I mean, if you order it on your like cable oh, box, traditional pay per view, if he you doesn't have a PVR, you can't yeah. rewind. Um, oh, got it. Okay. Anyway, it says the rest of the show was fantastic. Every match delivered, with the exception of Rosa and Baker's, something was just off with the chemistry. Highlight of the night for me was Regal. Him being the manager of Moxie Danielson is something I never expected, and it's a great fit. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because they were in, I think it was like 300 theaters in the U.S. were carrying um, the pay per view. And I, I heard from Braden tonight, the, the bar that they were at, um, they sold a bunch of tickets after, uh, over the weekend, and he said there was, like, a walk-up as well. Like, this bar was rammed for this pay-per-view. Yeah, it sounded like, um, if not a sellout, then a near sellout. So congratulations to Braden Harrington and everybody at the Hard Luck Bar. Uh, hopefully they do it again. We got a Brian from New Jersey who says, Another incredible premium live event from AEW. I'm not the biggest fan of blood nor a deathmatch guy, but Punk versus MJF and Danielson versus Moxley were two violent pieces of art, with the former being a match of the year contender. My pick for a worst match would have to be the Tornado Trios match, because I was afraid Isaiah Cassidy was dead. Just as we have so many questions to ask about the ROH acquisition, we're presented a new question as to what William Regal is doing here. Is he the manager for uh, Moxley and American Dragon, or is, he an, or is he an authority figure for AEW? Um, I would think the he was really presented as like a mentor role for Regal and and Moxley. That I think he would be the perfect person to put in that kind of a situation. Certainly not a group that needs someone to cut promos, but. I mean, you compared him to like the JJ role, and it was like you had some really great talkers in that group too. I, I think that would probably be the the role. At least that's how he was introduced. And I don't think you're going to see authority figures in no, AEW. No, you're right. That's probably a trope you do not want to adopt either. Okay, uh, Sal from California. My favorite moment was Wardlow putting the dynamite diamond ring down on the mat for Punk. The months long story between Punk and MJF and all the Wardlow teases had the perfect climax. All right, we go to Trent, who was there live, who says, This was my third straight AEW pay-per-view to travel to from Texas, and the company continues to not only deliver but raise the bar. A truly excellent show with an on-fire crowd. My only complaint is that I thought the Adam Chance went on too much in the main event. It was cute at first, but the joke quickly got old to me. I, I can understand that if I was in the arena and... uh you know, clever chance sometimes, you know, know when to when to get out. Get off while they're still clapping. Okay, next one up here is from El Hio del Jomo. Uh, completely agree with John. I'm more East Coast than you guys, so it's 1 a.m. and I'm still energized. Took a smoke break during the TBS match, so I'll have to go back and watch that later. Okay. Young Bucks can't miss. AEW triple threats don't miss, and this tag division is unquestionably the best in wrestling. No company in North America, Japan, anywhere. There's no one close. I know people love their blood, but this was match of the night for me, or what I would consider show of the year until double or nothing. And give us the women's tag title so that Marina Shafir and Paige Van Zant have something to do that can make me stomach Dan Lambert. All right, we go up next to Bodfather, who says, I watched with two Labs fans and two non-wrestling fans tonight. Everybody had a good time. 
High points of the night were the ladder match, the trios match, MJF and Punk, and the Moxley versus Danielson match. I thought Baker and Thunder Rosa really struggled, and it didn't help that they were in the death spot after the dog collar match. Overall, a fun show, and it was great to get together with friends to watch. Can't wait to hear what everybody else thinks. Okay, Muggin thought that uh, Kingston and Jericho was a strong opener. Uh, Punk and MJF's dog collar match lived up to its promise with a lot of blood, nostalgia, emotions, and Wardlow. Three-way tag title match was fantastic. It laid out, re- it was laid out well by weaving the Red Dragon and Bucks tension into the false finishes, and Jurassic Express got a huge feather in their cap by beating two of AEW's best teams. Rosa Baker had a tough task following the dog collar match, but they worked very hard. Moxie Danielson was a blast and a creative finish with William Regal's debut. I had low expectations for the tornado tag, but all six delivered. Cole Hangman brought it home. Great main event. Good main event. All right. We go up next to Manny from California, who says, I had a great time watching the pay-per-view in theaters. The overall, the pay-per-view overall was great, and everybody was on their feet when William Regal showed up. Looking forward to their debut at the forum, to going to their debut at the forum. I also wanted to take the time to thank Way for reaching out to me when I talked about quitting my band due to dealing with imposter syndrome. And also you, John. Are an amazing writer. I enjoy reading your news updates. Oh well, thank you, man. It's always nice to get some compliments in the midst of uh, the feedback. Thank it you. sounds like you contributed a whole lot more than I did. Well, no, you're a great writer, of course. Darren from Florida. He was at the show live as well. The crowd was fired up through most of the show, though they were really drained after the punk match, and it took until at least Moxie Danielson to really uh, get back into it. Surprised at no title changes, and that Jade was actually. Pretty over, as I didn't expect that. Overall, a great show, but still too long for some of the live crowd, including my wife, who was over it after the punk match as we got there at 7 for the pre-show. They were taking a long time to get everyone in, so we missed the first buy-in match and part of the second, so the crowd was weak during that that part. That would be why. Overall, great show that is much better than anything we'll see next month, I'm sure. And then we go to Andrew from St. John, who says, I was live at the show tonight, and it was a great time. Let's go Adam Chance for funny, but I like that there was an emotional turn in the main event where they switched to traditional Hangman Page slash Adam Cole dueling chance when things got serious. I love the match and the finish. Crowd was electric for the opening pair of matches and eventually became a little tuckered out, but got into it for the key moments. My section had a few guys who thought they were a non-stop comedy review behind me, and it was a little distracting. <laughs> Wasn't hot on the finish to Britain Rosa. I love seeing CM Punk's ROH presentation again. Nine out of ten. Yeah, you always got to appreciate the uh, the sit down comics as opposed to the stand ups. This is why um, we never go to shows. You and I, John, like we just do our reviews here. Yes. Um, hey, we have a uh, because this person has been trying really hard to get his headset to work. I'm going to try one more time to go to Words Greenwood. Are you there? Hi, gents. Can you hear me? Yes. Now we can. Hello. Hey, there we go. Sorry about that. Uh, unknown technical difficulties. It is quarter to seven here in the Ooh. UK. I start working two and a quarter hours and I have no regrets whatsoever. Um, pleasure to speak to you both live. Fantastic show. Third pay-per-view in a row that AEW have absolutely rocked it. Um, the last show, I felt that the opening match, as John mentioned earlier, between MJF and Sammy stole the show. This show... It just went on smooth throughout. Absolutely fantastic stuff throughout. I feel very happy about where the future of our industry lies if this continues. Um, I'm not concerned about the bloated locker. I should be concerned about the bloated locker room. But the way I'm seeing it right now is House of Glory, AIW, GCW will have their cards stacked by Tony Khan loaning people out. And I think Mm -hmm. this is only good for the future of the industry. I can only hope that my optimism proves to be the case. 
But nonetheless, it is nice after all these years to have such optimism back in pro wrestling. And it's a mm-hmm. pleasure to speak to you, folks. Thank you very much. Uh, nine out of ten show for me. Absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it throughout. Um, thank you. And I'll leave it to that. Oh, well, thank you. I'm glad you were able to uh, get through to us and uh, all the best at work in uh, two and a half hours. It was, uh, dude, it's, it's I, I, will, I will never complain as we are talking here at 2 a.m. because the, the, the UK crew, it's, it's a different level of uh, dedication. Of, of dedication. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. thank you very much for making it uh, and hope to hear from you again soon, Word Screenwood, and hope to see everybody who has managed to join us live or listening to us in archive form uh, on a Monday. Uh, Almost 2 a.m. here, but you know what? Like you said, John, full of energy right now with such a what a great show to talk about. Yes, uh, it was a fantastic show. If you missed it, I think it's going to come highly recommended uh, by those that watched it and those that were at the show as well. So that is going to wrap things up. Thanks to everybody for joining us live here at YouTube.com slash Post Wrestling. We really appreciate if you subscribe to the channel, give a thumbs up on the video. And uh, because so much is uh, centered around uh, the pay-per-view we will be back Monday night so post daily news show will resume on Tuesday uh, but we will be live here on this channel 1115 Eastern on Monday night following Raw and we will go through all of that and uh, touch on any of the outstanding news and notes from the day so uh, just a couple of hours away and we get a uh, Shingo Takagi and Tomohiro Ishii oh boy okay yeah cool it never stops. No, All right. I mean that's that's great, but honestly, like I I don't need more wrestling right now. Not for um, a few hours. Not for a few hours, but it mm-hmm. all it all starts again in just a few. So thanks to everyone again for joining us live uh, with your live reports, all the feedback, and that is going to wrap up our Revolution post show. Good night.